When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Sports, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, Paul Nepper, and today we'll be talking to Earl Curitan about his new book, Earl the Twirl, My Life in Basketball. Earl played 12 seasons in the NBA, during which time he won two championships. He also played pro ball in several other countries. He's done some broadcasting at the college or pro level. He's coached in a number of leagues, and he's now a community ambassador for his hometown, Detroit Pistons. Earl, welcome to the show. Oh, man, happy to be here. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm, I'm excited to get into this book. I told you before we came on the air how much I enjoyed it. It was really a fresh perspective, and uh, I think it fills a need in the whole basketball book world of, you know, the life of a successful, extremely successful journeyman. Well, the goal was to give a look behind the scenes and, uh, let people kind of know what was going on, especially in my era of basketball in the early 80s and, you know, before the league blew up and became like it is right now that, you know, we kind of laid the groundwork for, you know, all the millions and billions of dollars that's being paid right now. But, uh, you know, it was a lot of hard work put in to get it to that point. And uh, I think, you know, we, we did a pretty good job. We can be proud of where the NBA is at right now. Absolutely. So I want to I start this off on a fun note. There's In your book, your wife says that, you can imitate any NBA player. So <laughs> I want to ask, can you do an imitation for me? <laughs> this depends on who it is. <laughs> How about, uh, let me see. All right, two guys you're friends with uh, and two guys I'm a big fan of. How about either Charles Oakley or Moses Malone? Can you do one of those guys? <laughs> well, Big Mo, you know, he, you had to really listen to what he was saying. You know, Mo, 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 Mo got, you know, admit, uh, uh, going all over, all over the place. I, I feel like I'm in a PGA Tour, man, traveling all over the world like this, playing golf. Yeah, I'm playing golf everywhere. Yeah, man. <laughs> so <he> was, <laughs> I said, you know, they asked him, they said, Mo, you know, what, what, how's it going to go? Well, how playoffs going to go for? Four, four, four. Four, four, four. four. <laughs> <I go. laughs> that's great. That's, that's very good. Yeah. You know, as you know, I'm writing a book on Mo, and every, every, people love to do their Moses impression. Everybody's uh, got a Mo yeah, impression. Moses was such a great but, guy, you know, and um, you know, I, I miss him so much because I, you know, I would talk to him all the time. You know, before he passed, I probably talked to him uh, about three weeks before that happened, and, that, oh, and that's wow. what we we're talking about because they had him going to about four or five different golf outings, and and he was telling me that you know it, it, it felt like he was on a PGA tour. They had him traveling all around <laughs> playing golf everywhere. Uh, but he was fun loving. I mean, just every time you were around him, you had a great time. So I really missed our conversations and 
And the thing that people didn't really didn't know about Moses is how knowledgeable he was of basketball. I mean, he, he should have been on somebody's NBA bench. I mean, he knew the game inside out. Um, I remember him telling me about uh, Big Baby uh, before when he came out of college. You know, and Mo told me, you know, he wasn't going to get drafted high. He said, they're going to miss on this guy. He said, but this guy going to be a good player in the league. And you know, he was breaking down why he thought so. And sure enough, you know, Glenn Davis busted on the scene later after that. But, um, yeah, he was extremely knowledgeable at basketball. Though. Wow. So talk to us a little bit. What was it like to grow up in Detroit in the 60s and 70s? <laughs> Well, I grew up in a rough part of Detroit. You know, I, I talked about that in a book. My childhood was just as interesting as my NBA career. Uh, you know, my neighborhood was pretty rough uh, where I grew up. But at the same time, it was a lot of great families. It was a mixture uh, of things going on in, in the neighborhood that I grew up in. Uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of families had migrated up here from the South and the auto industry was booming and people was coming here looking for work and a lot of kids was dropping, leaving high school and going straight into the plant and not really into, into college. And, uh, you know, a lot of them are retiring right now. And uh, but it was a rough neighborhood. You know, um, a lot of different things were going on. Heroin was big uh, in the 60s. Uh, you know, a lot of heroin use was going on. So it was, you know, with some drug houses and um, a lot of stuff going on in the neighborhood. But but I, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. My neighborhood, um, I still got great friends that I still associate with and talk to. Uh, it was a lot of good families there. And, and back then, that's what you found. You found a household, you know, with a mother and a father and probably five or six kids and the father working and the mother staying at home, taking care of the families. But as a young man growing up in a neighborhood like that, you had to make some decisions. Uh, you know, you could go to one house and it could be great. You could go to another one and everything could be wrong. Um, you know, and your parents and stuff could talk to you and tell you about it. But, you know, you had to make the right decisions on you know, what you're going to do with your life. That's, and that's why I talk to youth now, because a lot of parents don't understand these kids are out in the street. Uh, you can talk to them till you blue in the face, you know, but one wrong mistake can always cost a kid. And um, I was in situations like that where I had to choose to where I want to go. And I think basketball was a rope for me to get away from some of the bad things that were going on. When did you first fall in love with the game? I started at 12 years old. Um, uh, you know, and I talk about the neighborhood. It was a family across the street from me. And I, I kind of talk about that in a book, The Davis Family. Uh, and they had a family full of uh, boys. It was four of them over there. Three of them were super athletes. Uh, they played baseball, football, basketball. Um, you know, I, and I was I met, made friends with them probably at about, I moved there at seven years old. I started getting friendly with them at about nine or ten. And uh, they allowed me to come by the house one day. Uh, and I went upstairs, and when I got up there, I looked on their bu on the buffet that they had in the house, and it was like trophies all the way lined from one end to the other one, from baseball to basketball. And at that particular time, I wasn't in the sports, and when I saw those trophies, I was blown away. Uh, and the younger brother, Lee Davis, was a good friend of mine, and he started teaching me how to play basketball. We had rims in the alley back then, and uh, I would go hang out in the alley. I, I was kind of in, in the wrong areas then. I wouldn't uh, – playing any basketball. I was hanging out with some other people I probably shouldn't have been hanging out with. But when he took me out there and started teaching me how to play, I would wait till everybody leave. And he would show me all of the rules and everything. And uh, from that point, I kind of fell in love with it. You know, then we started going to the recreation center. And um, But my first hoop, you know, I talked about was a bicycle rim. It was welded to, two, to a frame. You know, we used to hang up on the back of the garage and, you know, play in the alley. You know, that, that, that was every, everybody had a rim in the alley, you know, back then. So, that's where I got started at. But uh, once I hit that recreation center, it's, you know, it, it was all over. Yeah. Uh, 
speaking of recreation ball, I, I you know, I so I grew up in New York. Uh, so, you know, the, the big thing, of course, was Rucker Park, you know, and I heard all the stories about Dr. J and all those guys at Rucker. And, you know, I, I've heard about the Baker League in Philly down in Houston. They had Fondi where Moses and, and Hakeem used to ball and all those rockets. I'd never really heard anything about St. Cecilia. And it sounds like St. Cecilia was kind of your local version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh man, I got a I got a place in my heart right now. I'm working on a project. You know, I'm sitting on the board. We're trying to find a way to, to bring it back because it meant so much to the city of Detroit. Uh, Saint Cecilia was a little matchbox gym, no air condition, really small. If you see it, you just wouldn't believe it. Uh, a guy named Sam Washington took it over in '67. We had we had some race riots up here in Detroit that kind of just tore the town apart. Uh, Dave Bing was in odds with the Pistons. He was there number two pick in, the, in his contract that came up and he hadn't signed uh, and he was sitting out and he was trying to find some place to play. And he ended up over at this little gym working out and Sam convinced him to, you know, bring some of his friends over and kind of start a league. And they were looking to just try to get the kids something to do and try to make something happen because it was so bad in Detroit. You know, we had national guards and, you know, everything was falling apart. So they started St. Cecilia and, um, you know, a, a league was formed and uh, Dave kind of kicked that whole thing off. But when it started, it was like a, you know, it, it was like the proving grounds for every player in the city of Detroit. Our PSL in Detroit was loaded, you know, with great players. And when I say I've talked Spencer Haywood, you know, I'm talking Eric Money, Cornell Norman, you know, for basketball people out there know some of these names. All these guys became NBA players. George Gervin, um, you know, all those guys grew up on the east side of Detroit, you know, where I was from. And the PSL, every team. Uh, in the PSL, the public school league back then, had at least two to three major college players and a lot of them at least one NBA player. Uh, my year, I came out in 1975, uh, produced Greg Kelser, was fourth pick in the draft to the Detroit Pistons. Lawrence Knight was a first-round pick to um, the Utah Jazz. William Mayfield played for um, uh, the Golden State Warriors. Uh, you know, I can just keep going on and on with guys that uh, that came out and, you know, in, in those, those couple of years, and that's right in my high school class in 75 that we had all those guys uh, and myself and Terry Durod, the Boston Celtics and Bruce Flowers, the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know, all these guys were right out of the city of Detroit. So we were loaded with talent, but nobody passed through Detroit without going to St. Cecilia. You know, that was the place where all of the colleges, Michigan, Michigan State, University of Detroit, all these coaches would be sitting there on the weekend. And, you know, the games would start at 9 o'clock in the morning. They'd go on at 6 in the evening. And if you was at Oakland University, Wayne State, Michigan, U of D, you would find you a player in that gym. You know, and uh, we'd come in, and a lot of times, like Vital said, it would be shirts and skins. You know, he said he saw this little skinny kid down there and lighting it up. And, you know, and Vital was like, well, who was that kid? You know, and they said, well, that's George Gervin, you know. <laughs> George Gervin ended up going. And, you know, and they reached out to Saginaw. I reached out to Flint where we had Jeff Greer and we had Glenn Rice coming down. We had the Russell brothers, you know, um, Cappy Russell and Frank Russell. That whole family was loaded. Uh, I mean, talent was coming from all out of Michigan, but they all came through St. Cecilia. Uh, and when Magic bust on the scene and he was in Lansing, and, you know, Magic got a lot of hype out of high school and everybody was talking about the Magic Man and how great he was. But everybody kept telling him that, you know, you nothing until you prove yourself. You know, you got to go to St. Cecilia. So he kept hearing it over and over. And finally, he came down to St. Cecilia, but he came down the night before. 
And the story is that Magic spent the night at St. Cecilia and slept on the floor. And the next morning he got up and he put on a show. And, uh, and he was legit. <laughs> that was the place you had to come. I mean, it would be lined up. George Gervin come in on the weekends. Uh, you know, of course, we had no cell phones, any of that stuff. But by, through word of mouth, they would find out that George Gervin's coming in. That place would be packed on the weekends. They'd be lying around the corner. You know, and Sam would charge a dollar to get in. When Gervin came, it went up to $2. You know, and, uh, no air, air condition, nothing. And, um, you know, we, he'd come in there and drop back-to-back 50-point games. Uh People, you know, the guys from New York, um, Sam was friends with a, a guy in um, New York, and they set up a game because New York had great players, as you know. And um, they brought some of the top New York players down. You know, Bernard King was a part of that group that came in. And uh, Detroit played against uh, New York. Uh, well, I think we got beat pretty bad. Bernard came in here and put a show on. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Tough guys came in. I think our young team won, and our older team got beat pretty bad when they came in here. But uh, – that was the spot. So anybody in that era that knew about it, and I mentioned all of the old guys, but that carried on to Steve Smith, to Derek Coleman, to Chris Weber, to Jalen Rose, to Sean Leonard, you know, Eric Snow, all these guys. I can just keep naming pro after pro after pro. All came through St. Cecilia. Entertainers, you know, we had a wall of fame that went up, and, you know, Marvin Gaye's name was on there. It's all, you know, everybody would come by there and try to play a lot of business people and, because that was a place where, you know, you're a young kid in the summertime, you could mix with the pros. You know, you come in and you play and, you know, after the game was over, you're in the parking lot and the pros and the young guys would be out there. The pros would be passing on knowledge to the younger players. And that's where they could rub elbows and get a chance to see the professional basketball players. So it was just a great experience. You know, I got my college scholarship standing right on St. Cecilia floor. So that's why I'm working so hard now, because I would love to see something happen there to bring that building back. Yeah, that's incredible. I get. I, I can't believe all the names you just rattled off. I mean, <laughs> that's all that yeah. came out of the city. Yeah, uh, big it, time. It's, it's incredible, and not just great players. You're talking about some of the best power forwards to play. Think about Danny Roundfield, Chris Weber, and Derek Coleman. You yeah. know, and, and Spencer Haywood. Those were some of the be- best power forwards to play in the NBA. It all came right out of Detroit. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you 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 had kind of an, an unusual development in that. You grew a lot after high school. Um, yeah, I, I, I was a late bloomer. You know, I was about six foot four. I struggled. I mean, that's that's why I, I wrote this book to let the average person. It's more realistic to a person that, that's dreaming. You know, I, I always believed that I could make it. Uh, people was looking at me. They thought I was a little crazy because, you know, my sides, uh, real skinny, six foot four. Um, you know, I had a good high school year. I mean, I averaged 20 points a game in the PSL my senior year at about six four, six five. Uh, and couldn't get any offers. You know, we had so many great players. I was third team city coming out of Detroit with those kind of numbers, you know, with Bruce Flowers and Durod and all these guys coming out, you know, and I ended up uh, at a junior college, you know, I, you know my birthday's latest in September. Um, you know, so I was 17 years old, you know, when I became a senior, but I ended up at Robert Morris College. I got that offer on St. Cecilia, a guy named Cleve Edwards came in and saw me in there playing and he actually was looking at Sam Washington's son uh, because Sam Washington's son had won the state championship, Sam Washington Jr. Him and his brother had won the state championship at Brother Rice a year prior to that, and he had got really sick and went to prep school. So they were actually looking at him. And, you know, Sam told him about me, and you know, he ended up asking me to come down uh, to take a visit at Robert Morris College. Uh, 
you know, I had never been on the airplane. You know, he said he was going to fly me in. And, you know, a big smile came on my face. And I said, okay, sure, I want to come down. I, you know, I was nervous. I took my first plane flight uh, going into Pittsburgh. Uh, but I went to Robert Morris. It was a four-year business school. And um, and the junior college program was uh, booming back then for them. They had a coach, an older guy by the name of Gus Kropp. Uh, and they always were successful in uh, junior college basketball. But during that year, uh, you know, I shot up. I went from, uh, you know, from six foot four to to six six eight, I grew four inches in one year, and so everybody started recruiting me from all over. When that happened, uh, you know, Vital saw me play in high school, so I saw me have a good state tournament game. But he had a lot of guys six four, six five. But the minute he got wind to my growth spurt, he came after me like crazy. So I used to talk to him on the phone every day. So, uh, well, he would talk and I would listen. So. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, he would. You know, I talked to him on the payphone in the dorms at Robert Morris. Tried to get me out after one year, but he couldn't do it. I ended up coming back. And the school went from, and that's, you know, this every year I had some twists and turns. So from a junior college, the growth spurt, and then the school went NCAA Division One. if you can imagine that, from a junior college. Uh, we had a schedule of 18 away games. Um, I ran into Larry Bird. I probably saw Larry Bird before anybody. Uh, you know, uh, we played Indiana State in a tournament, um, and – I didn't know nothing about Larry Bird. In fact, he wasn't even on the scouting report, which was crazy. Uh, they were talking about Marvin Webster's cousin, that Carlton Webster was going to be my matchup. And, you know, they named Harry Morgan and some other guys. And at the end of the scouting report, they said, well, they got this guy named Bird that transferred in from Indiana. You know, he's going to play. You know, he'll be, you know, you got to look at six nine. And boy, man, I, I, you know, I got my first look <laughs> at one of the greatest players playing the league. You know? uh, it was incredible. You know, when the game started, I think Bird came down, I remember correctly, Bird came down and he pulled up deep in the corner and shot like a long three-point shot. You know, back then you didn't see six nine guys shooting from way out. So he hits a three, and I kind of look, you know, glancing, wow, you know. Next time he comes down, he up fakes, puts the ball on the floor and comes in and slams it. And I'm like, damn, you know. <laughs> then he comes down the third time. And he's at the top of the key handling the ball, and he throws a no look, and a guy lays it in a basket. I'm like, I said, damn, who is this white boy? I said, who is this? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I ended up making an uh, all-tournament with him down there. And uh, Indiana State, you know, they, they started to recruit me after that because they, they had a feeling I wasn't going to stay. Uh, you know, I think I was the leading rebounder in that tournament. Bird had 57 points and 47 rebounds in two games, which, you know, and uh, Bob Heaton was the other guy that was at Denver. So we all made all tournaments. So they went after Bob Heaton and me too. Bob Heaton transferred and ended up playing. I didn't, and, you know, a couple years later, they ended up in the NCAA finals with that team. And Carl Nix was there. Uh, Carl Nix wasn't playing a whole lot that year when I came in, but he was he was on that team with Bird. So, yeah, but, that, you know, Robert Morris took me, you know, I went to Rhode Island and we played a pretty good schedule that year. I played against Wayne Cooper. He was up in New Orleans and, so all these games were on the road. So I was getting great experience. Uh, we wasn't winning a lot of games, but I was the star of the team at Robert Morris College in the first year. So, but I made a decision to leave. They wanted me to to stay there at Robert Morris, but I was trying to get my mind was set on trying to get to the NBA, and I wanted to go to a bigger university. And how did it feel when you were drafted by the Sixers? Well, I had these Dr. J posters hanging on my wall when I was in junior college. Uh, you know, I had an English teacher there, and uh, every time I did a paper, it had something to do with Dr. J. So she, at the end of the semester, she gave me uh, two giant posters. You know, and they, they were doc, you know, doc 
flying through the air. And so I had them hanging up in my dorm rooms, you know, in, at Robert Morris. And when I left, I took them to UAD with me. And um, so I spent two years there. And then when I got to UAD, I had the red shirt the first year that I got there, uh, which put me in my third year. And the year that I became eligible to play was actually would have been like my senior year, you know. So actually my first year at UAD is me and Terry Durod, John Long and Terry Tyler had just left. And both of those guys end up going to the uh, NBA. The two guys that I didn't even mention in all the names out of Detroit. And I played with them. Both of them became 10, 12-year pros as well. Um, anyway, um, I got drafted uh, my first year at UAD. I averaged about 11 and 10 that year. Me and Dura went to the NCAA tournament. Uh, we upset some big teams. We beat Marquette that year. You know, they had, they had a good team with, with Sam Worthen and all those, Bernard Toon and all those guys down there. We, we upset them. Uh, we beat Oregon that year. and We beat Georgetown. I think we did all that about a 10-day 10, uh, 10 span. And we were independent with only 32 teams made the NCAA tournament. So you had to be kind of special to get in at that particular time. But I didn't think a lot about it. Durod was averaging 24 a game, and he was our main man, and he was a senior, and I knew he was going to get drafted. So, you know, and I tell the story about the draft and all that in the book. So, you know, I don't want to give you all the good stuff out of the book. So, but anyway, when Philly drafted me, I was, you know, I just went completely crazy because I knew Doc played for them. And not only was I reaching my dream, but the fact that I, you know, I was going to have an opportunity to go down there and be with, you know, be with the doc. So I took the posters down, you know, <laughs> so I better get these off the wall. Now. <laughs> I just saw him this weekend. I told him that story too. Yeah. He was here in Detroit. The, you know, the big three came in and I, I hung out with him this weekend and I was telling him the story. He started laughing. I said, yeah, I took him down. I said, take Dr. J posters down. So I might have to go up against him now. So <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, we. Uh, I mean, you cross paths with so many superstars, huge names in the game, and we named a couple. I mean, Gervin and Bird and Dr. J and Vital and on and on. And we'll get into some of those. But you know, the guy, the most interesting guy to me in your book that you cross paths with was a guy named Monty Davis, because. I don't think the average fan knows how many Monty Davises there are out there. Guys that are, you, you describe you describe in the book, Monty was drafted by the Sixers. He had a guaranteed contract. You didn't, and you beat him out for the job, which is great. But there are so many guys kind of right on the fringe of making the league. And they a lot of guys who have the physical ability to be there, but either because of sometimes it's luck, right? Sometimes it's political BS. Sometimes it's attitude or mental makeup. They don't make it. So what you're a guy who jumped around from team to team, managed to play pro ball for 17 years, you know, you're 12 years in the NBA. What, what separates a career, you know, role player like yourself from those guys that weren't able to make it? Well, I was a guy that always listened, you know, um, you know, you got a lot of kids that don't listen to, you know, to, to the coaches and listen to the things that's, and I always tell kids, you know, you got to pay attention to people that's older than you. I said, not the fact that they know more than you. They just been around longer than you. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have some good mentors, you know, from my high school coaches. And it was a variety of people that uh, I learned things from. Uh, Vital, I credit him a whole lot. I didn't even play for Vital. Uh, he recruited me and brought me in. And I spent probably about two and a half months with Vital going through preseason. Um, but Vital, as you know, a, a big talker, 
you know, uh, always had conversations, always, you know, he's telling the same stories about the game of life and, you know, but he would always sit there and break things down to us, uh, how, how it was going to be, you know, uh, going to the next level, not just basketball wise, but, you know, just real life stuff that you had to do to be prepared for when you, you know, when you got there and, um, you know, and, and that short period of time, I just kind of absorbed everything that he was saying. Uh, you know, he taught us how to play solid man-to-man defense, which, you know, in college. And, you know, we I, I knew how to play pick and rolls and all that type of stuff. And I learned that in a short period of time being with him. And he always talked about being the first guy practicing, the last guy to leave. And, you know, every day was important. Uh, you know, I had a guy named Jack Furtick, uh, and I put that line in there too because he told me when I was at Robert Morris College, he says, hey, every day that you don't work hard, there's somebody somewhere in this country that's going to pass you by. He says, so every day is important. He said, you cannot – dog it not one day so that day that you dog it somebody's gonna step in front of you and i kind of took things like that to heart you know and every time i stepped in between the lines i wanted to make sure i made it count uh i remembered all the stories about what dick told and you know about being a good person being a good teammate you know uh you know just going out giving every giving your all you know dick used to always say you know if you give 110 percent, then you don't have anything to feel bad about it. He said, you don't have to look back and regret anything if you know you don't gave all that you can give. So always, I carried those things with me, uh, you know, leaving out of Detroit from my high school coach, from Vital to you know, Jack Furtick, that was a coach I had down in, uh, at Robert Morris College. And so all of the little things, and from my, you know, my mother was, you know, I had a strong mother too that, you know, put a lot of fight in me when I was a kid. So all of those things are a combination of me, um, you know, being ready when I got to that, that next level. Uh, and I think all the things that happened to me along the way, uh, you know, just having that normal life, uh, people doubting you, you know, and uh, the one thing I always, I believed in myself, I didn't, I didn't need a lot of people, you know, a lot of, like I said, a lot of people probably didn't think I could make it, but I had total confidence that I was going to get there. So you, you get to Philly and you make the team and, and there's a lot of talent and, and, Interesting characters around you. I want to ask you a little bit about some of them. Uh, the first guy, Mr. Chocolate Thunder. What was it like to play with Daryl Dawkins? Man, that was my guy. Yeah, you know, I'm another one that I I truly miss. Um, you know, when I saw Daryl, I, I think I met Daryl uh, the summer before I went to training camp. Uh, he, him and World Be Free came up to Detroit to play in an All Star game up here. And uh, I heard he was coming in and I went down to, you know, I wanted to go down and see him, you know, I wanted to meet and I had heard stories about him, you know, and uh, so, and I was weighing about 215, 220 pounds when I came out of, out of college, you know? So I go down and I see Daryl and I see this guy, 6'11", and man, he was almost 300 pounds. He had to be just, but solid muscle, just, you know, just built. And I'm like, damn, you know, I'm looking, I said, this is, you know, the next level, I, you know, I'm I, a little shaken by just his size and his presence. But I played, we, the game started, we're playing, and I remember coming down the lane and I jumped to go up over Daryl, and Daryl reached out and caught me in midair. He caught my whole body. <laughs> he caught me and he set me down on the floor, you know, and he looked at me and then just ran down the floor. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like, what, what's going on? I said, I got to go to camp, you know, and, and I, I played center. You know, I even at my size, I was a center, you know. Sure enough, you know, I was matched up against Daryl my first year when I got in, uh, you know, got into Philly. We had the mile run, um, you know, and me and Andrew Tony came in together. And, uh, 
you know, we started this season with that mile running. I, and, I, and that's one thing I was, was fast. You know, uh, I led the whole race, you know, and a- Andrew still called me the rabbit to this day because he <laughs> caught me. <laughs> he caught me with about 50 yards to go. And then we both ran like 504s, you know. We had times that was it was crazy, you know, and Doc and all of them was looking at us like, well, you know, what's wrong with these guys? You know, they had a time to make, but why are they racing? You know, so but we, you know, we, we did that. But Daryl, you know, he was way behind. Uh, it took him two days to finish. You had to make a certain time. Either you had to run it every day till you finish. So, and Daryl, you know, with the size he had. But anyway, I was going up against him every day, um, you know, bumping and banging. And I, and I kind of figured him out um, in terms of, I knew if I got a rebound, he was never catch me in transition. I knew if he caught the ball down on the low block, I was going to be in trouble. <laughs> I would be behind him. So, I, you know, I learned how to front him and all that kind of stuff. So I ended up, you know, faring up pretty well once I learned how to go up against him. Um, one day in practice, uh, you know, Daryl, Daryl would always try to scare you too. You know, he, you know, and he told me to stop following him or something. He got mad one day and yelled at me, you know, and, and, uh, you know, we got into an argument, you know, and I was like, Daryl, you know, I'm not scared of you, man. You know, I said, you know where I'm from? You know, I use a Detroit thing on him. You know, I said, you know, I said, I see more than what you are in Detroit. You know, I said, I ain't, you know, I ain't scared of you. I said, I, I said, you can put your hands on me if you want to. You know, I said, where I come from, people like you die, you know. I said, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, I'm nervous. I'm like, I'm shaking when I'm, why I'm saying this, you know. And um, I don't even know if I put this in the book, but I, you know, afterwards I got changed, you know, because we didn't, you know, we, we would just leave. You know, we didn't shower. We just got in our cars and took off and went home. We were over in Delaware. So I'm shaking. Nothing happened, you know. You know everybody's looking, you know. I get in my car. And I drive home. So Daryl knew we all stayed in the same neighborhood. He knew where I lived and everything, right? So I get back to my apartment, and when I pull up, I see Daryl's car at the apartment. And I'm like, oh, shit. (laughs) 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 So so I, I pull up, and I get out the car, and he walks up to me, and he grabs me, and he hugs me. And he said, you my man. (laughs) <laughs> and we we became friends i think and we we just had a great time i think when the season ended he came down to visit me uh and he wrote a book telling the story about that he came and stayed in my name na- in my neighborhood that i grew up in he actually came there you know and i brought him home and people just went crazy you know and my mother put me out of my room and she cooked for him and you know and, uh, <laughs> we just had you know me and daryl daryl was like one of the funniest guys i ever met in my life you know he always kept me in stitches and so over the over the years, you know, we remained friends and, and kept a good relationship. That's great. Mm-hmm. What was it like to what was it like to actually be teammates with with your idol, Dr. J? Well, you know, I sit back and stayed out of his way the first year. Everybody asked that. I was like, I was more interested in just watching him the first year. You know, I seen all the attention that he got from everybody and people were all over him. And, you know, it was like being with a rock star. And so I just tried to not 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 add to that, you know. So I kind of just watched him, you know, the way he dressed, the way he carried himself, the way he handled himself. So I learned a lot, you know, uh, my first year by just kind of just sitting back and just watching Doc. He, he was always professional. He was always dressed. You know, he was a family guy that, you know, always just had it together. Every time he said something, uh, you know, he was the kind of guy that walked in a room and when he walked in the room, he had a presence, you know, he would take the air out the room when he walked in and, uh, you know, and, you know, and he didn't let me down. You know, not only was he a great player, he was a perfect role model uh, for a young guy coming into the league. Um, you know, so I looked at that and, you know, when I, you know, as I got older, I always made sure I was always dressed, 
always made sure that I respected and treated people the right way. And because those are the things that I seen him do uh, when I first came in the league. So I had a great deal of respect for him on and off the basketball court. Right. So your, your first couple of league years in the league really ended in kind of heartbreaking fashion. You grew up, you guys were up three, one on the Celtics in the conference finals and came back and lost that. And then, and then 82, you lost to the finals and then you guys went out and Harold Katz signed some some guy named Moses Malone. And uh, you guys, I mean, that, that 82-83 team was one of the greatest teams of all time. I mean, oh, what- no, no question about it. Um, you know, my first year, you know, I thought for sure I was going to the finals. I, you know, I wasn't playing a whole lot. I probably was getting 13, 12, 13 minutes a game or something. And me and Andrew was two rookies that was just excited, you know, just like – we went up three one, and you know, almost sure that we go into the finals. You know, being up three one, and uh, that's the year that Houston knocked the Lakers out, and we pretty much knew whoever came out of the East that year was going to have a chance of beating Houston. Uh, a little bit more fearful of what the Lakers could have been like, but some kind of way that that shot that Ralph hit or whatever knocked them out. Um, but we lost that first game once again. There's Bird, you know, <laughs> he put his shoe on and come back the next, you know, for the next game, we lose that one. And, you know, here, here it is a game seven. And I mean, and that was the most heartbreaking thing, uh, you know, but that that's not where my experience really started with the Sixers being disappointed because the day I signed my contract with the Sixers, I was at the game uh, when they lost to magic, when he scored the 42 and 15, I was sitting in the stands that game. Uh, I had just signed the contract and I was actually staying in a hotel where the Lakers was at. And they came in, and that was the first heartbreak I seen as being a Sixer uh, under contract with them that day, watching that. And then my first year, that happened. Uh, you know, then we come back in '82. I'm getting a little bit more playing time. Then I think I ended up playing against Kareem in 1982 in the finals. You know, Billy had got a lot of trust in me, even though we had a deep team. You know, if he needed me, he knew he could trust to put me in. He threw me out there in the finals, and I played pretty good, well against Kareem. We won six games against them and we lost again. Uh, so that window was, you know, the window was getting tight. You know, it was, it was getting tight. And uh, when they made the deal for Moses, uh, you know, I knew. You know, I called Andrew. I said, man, we're going to win it all this year. I remember as soon as I saw that he signed, I said, man, there's no way we're not going to win it all this year, you know. And we came back and we had a great season. Uh, Moses was a perfect fit. Uh, we lost Daryl. I mean, I lost, you know, a friend that, but I knew. You know, I, I said, well, you know, we can still be friends, but I, we got Mo Malone. I, you know, I'm going to miss you, but I ain't going to miss you that much. <laughs> so, and Mo came in and uh, he was, you know, he was professional. Another guy that came in, brought his heart at, and uh, he laid the rules down the day that he walked through the door. I'm here to help Doc win a championship. This Dr. J team, I'm just here to help, you know. Uh, and I think that shit everybody up. You know, it was no questions about, you know, whose team it was and, how things were going to go. And I mean, we just went on a run that, that was incredible. Uh, Billy Cunningham was a perfectionist. You know, he wanted you to win every game. You know, we went 10, 12 in a row and you lose one game. He tear the locker room up and cuss everybody out uh, still. So he, he rolled us. Um, and at this point, I think everybody was kind of shell shot by what had happened to us. So uh, we stayed on top of everything. I mean, we swept straight through the playoffs. Uh, I think we lost one game to Milwaukee that year, you know, and, uh, Moses and Andrew, they argued forever about, you know, Andrew not getting the ball to him <laughs> the crucials <laughs> of that game. So, but we swept the Lakers that year, you know, won that first championship. So that was a, that was a rewarding thing to see from where going back to the magic 42 and 
coming back to the bird, knocking us out of the Eastern Conference final to magic them to get to that point to win an NBA championship was really a, a rewarding thing. Yeah. And then, and then after that season, you were out of a job for a while. Yeah. yeah like I said, it's every year, it's, you know, this is, this is, this is a life of a, a journey, man. You know, you, you, you go through all of these things uh, and you, you know, you got to stay focused. Uh, you know, if you don't stay focused and keep your head on straight. Uh, but I did some things. I mean, I was offered a contract, but not what I thought I deserved. You know, I took some chances. Uh, you know, I, once again, I wasn't, wasn't afraid. I believed in myself and, uh, you know, I made a move to leave uh, the country because of the right of first refusal. And I'll let people read about that. You know, that was that that's part yeah. of the reason why I, I really didn't uh, get let go from Philly. I, I could have came back, but, you know, I, I had a hard time with uh, trying to get a contract with them that year. So and I, I decided to make a, you know, make a decision then, uh, to, to do something to try to help myself. And, uh, and you know, in a roundabout way, that kind of worked out, you know, but I, I went through uh, some ups and downs there, too. You know, so <laughs> I ended up, I think, with three contracts in about a month. To, to find my way to Detroit. <laughs> yeah, but you found your way back home, right? How, yeah. What was what, how was that experience playing in your hometown? Oh man, that that was like you know, I mean, it was a letdown. I, obviously, I didn't want to leave the Sixers because me and Andrew was really close. It was a great team. I really think if that team would have stayed together, uh, we would have had a chance to do some some other things. You know, but things just kind of you know, well they got they got Barkley that next year in the draft, and things just started to change for them. But I think the team that we had could have really, if we'd have kept things the way it was, we could have could have went on and won some more championships. You know, then they moved Moses for whatever reason. But I think it was some management mistakes made there that uh, they'd have held that together a little bit longer. It could have worked out. But me going home was great. You know, I you know Isaiah, a young Isaiah Thomas was was here in Detroit, and uh, obviously I played my college ball here. You know, with Vitale and that team, and you know I played my high school basketball and all my friends and. So coming back to Detroit was great. It's it sounds like uh, it sounds like Isaiah was has been a very good friend to you, you know, throughout yeah, you know even yeah, after we, your uh, playing days. Well, he you know when I came in, it, it was it was funny because you know Isaiah was talking about winning a championship the year that I got there, and I kind of looked around the locker room and I, you know, I saw Ken Benson and Cliff Livingston and Ray Tolbert and you know, and I, and myself was going to be there. I saw Tyler. And then I thought about Philadelphia where we had Caldwell Jones and we had Daryl Dawkins and Moses Malone. And now I knew what championship caliber basketball was. We had Dr. <laughs> and it wasn't in that locker room, you know, and I'm like looking at him and he's like, yeah, you know, man, we gonna, you know, we gonna win it. You know, I'm like, you know, and I'm looking. So, and now I'm moving up. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in the rotation. You know, when I got back, I started to get more and more playing time with Detroit. Chuck Daly was there. He was familiar with me. And, uh, you know, he had left and went to Cleveland. Uh, and he had missed the championship with us, too, in Philly. But And Chuck was a great guy. You know, he wanted to reach out and brought me back there. But, um, yeah, I, I wasn't a believer when Isaiah was saying it. You know, he was, you know, he was, you know, every day he was talking about winning. And, he, you know, and he that's what he believed was going to happen. The season started and we, you know, we were winning games, you know, uh, you know, Kelly Puka was playing pretty well and Lambeer was, they wasn't the bad boys then, though. They were coming into that, you know, Vinny was there and, you know, all of the bad boys were there, but they were becoming bad boys then. And, uh, right. and I looked up and at the end of that season, we were playing for the divisional championship and we lost to Atlanta. I think the last game that stopped us from winning, we won 49 games my first year here in Detroit. And I'm like, damn, 
I said, well, you know, maybe this guy know what he's talking about, you know. Um, so, you know, we ended up losing in the playoffs that year to New York. Uh, that's that's the big games where Bernard King and Isaiah went at it. And yeah. And historical games there, too. We played down at Joe Lewis Arena, you know, and uh, that was the Bernard my, King you know, scored the last bucket on me because, you know, I didn't, I didn't I was out there running my mouth because I couldn't stop him. So I, I thought I could talk about it. <laughs> that, that, that didn't work out well for me. <laughs> so, you know, we came back the next year and, uh, you know, we had another good season. And uh, we I think that year we um, – who did we lose to? I think we lost to the Celtics that year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, one year we advanced, though. We beat New Jersey, and that might have been my last year. We beat New Jersey and went on to play Atlanta. Uh, and we lost to Atlanta that one year. And then, you know, then they the Rodman and Sally thing happened, and I ended up getting traded in my fourth year uh, with that team. So, but I had a good run, and me and Isaiah, yeah, we, you know, he made me better. Uh, you know, he had me thinking I was better than what I was because he would always wait for me to <laughs> give me the ball. You know, yeah, I think I averaged about eight points that year, you know, cl- close to six or seven rebounds. And, uh, you know, if you was open, Isaiah was going to get you the basketball, you know. So yeah. I made sure I ran the floor every single time because I, I wasn't a big scorer. I knew it was going to come off offensive rebounds and transition buckets. So uh, he was the guy that could, could make that happen for you. Right. <laughs> and, then, and then your next stop, you had a brief stop in Chicago with uh... – with Michael and the Bulls, what was it like to be teammates with MJ? Oh man, that was a that was a good experience. You know, that's where I met my man Charles Oakley. You know, and uh, still got a great relationship with him. You know, he was another guy that came in as a rookie, hard nosed, tough player. You know, always it never changed. That guy right there is the same from the day I met him to right now. You know, he'd knock you out then, he'd knock you out now. <laughs> he, wasn't, <laughs> he was no nonsense. Yeah. Uh, great teammate you know to have you yeah. know if you you know you playing with him you know he's a guy that's definitely gonna stand up for anybody and everybody that, that he's playing with and uh and always true to his word uh yeah when i came in i you know doug collins was a coach you know i was a little familiar with doug from because i played with doug about 12 or 13 games my first year in the league and uh right and he ended up becoming the, it was his first head coaching job uh some kind of way i found my way into that starting lineup uh with chicago uh, I remember opening up against the Knicks, uh, and they had Patrick and um, Cartwright. They had both of those guys. Right, there. right, right. Uh, You know, we went in and put it on them. You know, and uh, Michael scored fifty the first game. You know, I think they stood and and I think in the last dance they t- they showed Michael telling Doug he wasn't gonna let him lose his first game, and yeah, that was the game where he yeah. scored fifty points. You know, and I, I think I had about seventeen, you know, twelve, thirteen rebounds that game. I did pretty well. Oakley was right there behind me. We started off good, and then, you know, we took a, a, a trip and things started to fall apart. And I was actually starting this small forward because Gene Banks was out. And obviously, offensively, I wasn't the guy at the small forward, but I was guarding small forward. I could guard threes, fours, and fives. So, Doug, you know, put me in that lineup. And, I, you know, things were going pretty good, and all of a sudden things started to take a, a turn. Um, once again, uh, the right of first refusal was in my face. You know, uh, talk about that right. in the book. and. I was going to be a free agent at the end of that year with Chicago. And I knew that I needed to play. Uh, if I wasn't playing, then it was going to be a problem because I didn't want to be faced and be stuck in that situation again. So I, that, that kind of weighed on my you know decisions in, in Chicago. I, I didn't make the best of decisions there. And I ended up getting moved out of Chicago that year. And uh, they sent me somewhere where I could play as many minutes as I wanted to. They sent me to the worst team in the league. <laughs> <laughs> 
I went to That's the Clippers. Right. The Clippers, I mean, I, you know, I played. I did anything I wanted to do down there. It was, you know, we were the worst team in the league, and the showtime was down the street. And I think I went there with about 28 games, 30 games left. That team won 12 games that year. It was like a nightmare. Uh, and then I'm my contract ended, and I'm like, oh, please, you know, just I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I you know I had a feeling they may, you know, even though it was the right of first refusal and all that, they were going to bring me back. But I sat at home, and I was worried about the contract that year. You know, I think um, Don Chaney was the head coach. And, you know, the only bright spot out of that year when I went there is Mike Cage. You know, he ended up, uh, you know, he, he was a rebounding champ, I think, the second year I was there. And he was a bright spot. Mike Woodson was there and Darnell Valentine and Larry Drew. It's funny. All those guys became coaches. You know, we they, they, they weren't basketball players. It was all coaches. <laughs> 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 no, we just, uh, we had Benoit Benjamin. Uh, we had Kenny Fields. I mean, it was just a team that just you know, wasn't going to get it done with that squad. Uh, anyway, they brought me back um, for another year. They gave me a one-year deal to come back and a little bit of a raise. And I took it and came back down there and, uh, not much better that next year, 17 games, you know. And right. uh, I was getting all that playing time. But I was like, okay, well, let me, uh, you know, let me get back to where I'm supposed to be at, you know. So I ended up through free agency uh, moving to Charlotte uh, where I met my main man at down there. So another great player, you know, I had a chance to play with, and that's, that was Muggsy Bogues. Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah, also and then, Dale Curry, you know, had a couple right? sons that turned out not bad. Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. they were running around in diapers when I was there. So. <laughs> Who else was 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 uh, Rex Chapman there then? Rex was there. Rex was in. his came out of <laughs> out of Kentucky. I think he was about nineteen years old. And yeah, you know, everybody was taking care of Rex. So somebody was doing his clothes and cooking his oh, food. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> Rex was Rex, another great another great teammate. You he, know, Rex could he could soar back then. Oh yeah, he could yeah, jump. he was a high riser. He, yeah. I remember watching him in the McDonald's Open up here in Detroit in the dunk contest. That's when I first saw him. I, you know, out of high, you know, in high school, he was coming out of high school and he, he was in a dunk contest right here in Detroit. You know, so yeah. And then so. and then after that, you you bounced around a lot. You went back to Italy. There was the yeah, I went USBL, back. And, you know, that's a CBA. good story about that. It was another you know another great story. I you know everywhere I went though, it was always some Hall of Famers hanging around. You know, I, yeah. First, you know, when I went back over there, it was Bob McAdoo and you know Mike D'Antoni and Dino Minigin. Dino Minigin was one of the top Italian players that played. You know, that was my second time seeing Dino. You know, I saw him for the brief time when I went there the first time. I you know I talk about that in the book too. We had a great team and. That's another right. interesting story of how uh, I left Italy and, and came home. Yeah. Uh, the second time, you know, these guys were, were up there in age. You know, it didn't work out that great because, you know, McAdoo was at the end. Mike D'Antoni was at the end. You know, those guys were 41, 42 years old, you know, right. going, in, going into it. So, but, yeah, yeah I ended up there, um, hung out over there for a while, uh, and then came back. And uh, I think uh, – was it Magic I went to first? I know I ended up in France for a year. Um, played over there. Then I you know, hooked up with Magic and then Magic Johnson All-Stars, which was another great right. thing that you know we had. You know, we traveled all over. Uh, did that for about a year and a half with Magic. We, you know, we played all the national teams. That that was interesting, though. And I got, you know, got to learn what Irving was all about. Uh, we didn't lose a game. You know, I tell you that. Uh, yeah. He took it serious. You know, we practiced hard. 
uh, and we couldn't lose. You know, you know, you, you know that, that that was the whole thing. So, and we went to Germany. We played national team. We went over to Israel. We played against the, you know Maccabi over there, the best team they had. And the summertime, we barnstorm and you know Penny Hardaway and all those guys came out. We went all the games in the summer. We went down to the CBA and played like about five or six teams in the CBA. We beat all of them. So we went undefeated, you know, uh, with Magic. And he, you know, he had a great time. And then that was after the HIV thing. And they were going crazy to see him over there. And, uh, I mean, we had a lot of fun. Reggie Theus, uh, Bob McAdoo, and Leon Woods, and uh, Mike McGee. And, you know, we had all Kurt Rambis, John Long, and myself. You know, we put that team together. And uh, we had some fun. That's great. And then – you know, somehow after bouncing from Italy to playing with Magic and the USBL and the CBA, somehow you well, find yourself. the CBA yourselves- kind of came into effect uh, because we played those CBA teams, and they were so intrigued with Magic? the way we were playing. Yeah, I got with a Magic call. team, right? What, what, what is that? I, I was asking you. You played them with Magic's All Stars. You played the CBA yeah, teams. Yeah, yeah. I guess, okay, guess, right. guess we played about six or seven CBA teams, and so I, I got a call from Sioux Falls. I think it was. At that time, Flip Sanders was coaching down in there, too. I think he was at lacrosse or someplace. I got a call from him as well. But anyway, I had about four or five CBA teams. It was like, will you come down? It was it was near kind of near the end of their season, you know. They, and so John, me and John Long were really tight. And I t- asked John, I said, John, you want to go? And John was like, no, man, I don't want to go play in the CBA. I don't want to. So finally, I convinced him. I said, man, let's go down. It's, you know, it's a few games. I said, you know, we can go down here and play and we just kind of went down, you know, we, we still was loving playing. So just took a chance. And I went down to Sioux Falls and um, we kept them up. They had this thing, they had this play-in game. But anyway, me and John went there and played well enough to get them into this game where they had a chance. And we had to go to Biz, Bismarck, uh, which was crazy. In the CBA, it was, you know, I call it Vietnam because after the game, we had to ride about 12 hours to get to Bismarck. And, you know, me and John didn't want no parts. We almost ended our careers right there. We're like, we're not, we're not going to, we're not riding 12 hours. Anyway, some kind of way we found ourselves on the plane the next morning going in. And I went there and another good old friend of mine was Joe Ash. Uh, that was a scout for Philadelphia back in the day. And he knew me and was around. He saw me up there playing. And at this particular time, he was scouting for the Houston Rockets. And uh, Yeah, you know, you talk in the book about how hmm. the importance of relationships and it's so it's so apparent in your career because you, you know here you, you made all these stops in all these different places, and I think the keys were obviously as you talked about per- perseverance, just to persevere through all these different situations yeah. and not well, knowing you could, where your I, next I could job's going to be. Easily be crazy right now. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really all the things, you know. But I, you know, I, I kept my head on and I kept you know I kept grinding, you know, and I and I think it's because of the way everything was happening for me, you know, I you know. Um, the stories I tell about, you know, uh, what I had to face each and every day. I mean, I hear them talk about mental health now. I mean, God, you talk about if, you know, I had to have strong mental health <laughs> to be able to survive. It's I mean, remarkable. I was under pressure every single day. It was a lot of pressure. You know, that's another reason for writing this book to let them know, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, you would hear all these things. People would tell you if you didn't average 20 points a game, you know, when I come back to Detroit, in the summertime, they'd be like, oh, man, you ain't shit. You know, you don't play, you know, and I'm like, okay, you know, say what you want. You don't score any points. You only average five points. I'm like, okay. But at the same time, do you know the statistics? You know, when I came in the league, it was only 257 players in the world playing. Right now, it's only 430 in the world playing. 
you know, if you're going to be a part of something like that, then you know, it's hard for you to make a comment like that. So I, I just wanted this book to shed some light on how difficult it was and how hard the struggle was. And those guys that's all stars and superstars and make a lot of money, the guy like me go through the same thing, but with a lot more pressure. So, yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think, it's, you know, very, reading this book, it, and, you know, and, and, and to give a young player, uh, uh, you know, let him know that it is an opportunity out there for him, you know, but you, you know, you got to be mentally focused. I, and I, you know, I think basketball is just as much mental as it is being able to play uh, because, you know, you got to learn the obstacles of it. Uh, but anyway, you know, with that being said, you know, I ended up with the Houston Rockets because uh, Joe Ash had that connection. He called me about three weeks after that and asked me would I be interested in coming to Houston that year. And I was, you know, I, I was excited. I'm like, yeah, I'd be interested. And he said, well, we need you here today. You know, I'm talking to him <laughs> on the phone. He's like, you, you need to be here by the night. You know, we got to get you on the roster and blah, blah. You need to play X amount of game. So while I'm talking to him, I was packing, you know. So <laughs> I jumped Incredible. on the plane and I got there and, uh, you know, um, and I got that. That's another good story to get the book. You read that. That's going to be another great story there uh, you know, about how I got the contract. And I called all my friends when I left them and told them that Houston just picked up the, the missing piece. I said, yeah. we're going to win it all. <laughs> so I called I call about four or five. I said, man, the Rockets winning it all this year. They just got the piece, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but sure enough, um, you did. I was and you broke my heart. It, Early, it you broke my heart, man. I'm, yeah. I'm a diehard Knicks fan, and yeah, I, I'm still Knicks. not over that. Yeah, and then I had a great story with that, too, because the Knicks, I got mistreated up in New York. You know, I always – see, I was a big Knicks fan when I was a kid. Like okay. I, you know, I didn't watch. I watched Detroit. I watched the Pistons, but I was in love with like the Baltimore Bullets that hurt Earl of Pearl Monroe and right. Walt Frazier with the Knicks. And I used to watch that matchup. And you know, and then, then when the Knicks they got Earl of Pearl, I went crazy. I was like, oh man, these guys they got they got they got you know the best backcourt in the NBA. You know, so I really watched a lot of that. And and then the Garden was always just a place where I just always played well in the Garden. Like I said, that opening night down there, I had seventeen and four. Because the garden has got knowledgeable fans, and it's just something about being in Madison Square Garden. And I think everybody, you know, with Michael and all those guys, they felt this. I felt the same way. Even the role player felt that way about it, too. Right. So I went to New York um, after I left Charlotte. Uh, I went down to New York, and I remember Lambeer telling me, because I was up here working out that summer, he said, man, you're not going to make that team down there. You know, because, you know, New York had a lot of guaranteed content. And to me, I, didn't, I never thought anything about guaranteed, you know. So, but I, I went to New York because I knew I, I, I could, you know, I could make that team. You know, I knew they had, they had Stuart Gray. They had some guys down there. I knew I could flat out outplay. Um, and so I went to New York and, well, I, you know, I went down there and put on, you know, played pretty well. You know, I played, you know, my man Oakley was there and Patrick was there. And, you know, I thought you know, I'd be a good fit for them. Uh, I went through preseason and this is John Starks. That's the first year they discovered him. In fact, me and John Stark was the only two guys they took to the McDonald Opens over in uh in Spain. We went to Barcelona. Okay. And I, you know, I played good. I think um the one game I had 13 points, 10 rebounds against Dallas in a preseason game. Um and they told me after that game, <laughs> Stu Jackson came to me and he says we're not going to play you this last game. We play Detroit tonight. We know what you can do. You know, we're confident with you. We're going to take a look at the rest of these guys. You know, you just relax tonight. So I'm you know, thinking I'm sitting pretty good, you know, play Detroit. You know, I didn't play just like he said, you know, and uh, after the game was over, the season started, I think in like a day or two, 
uh, he called me in the next day and I sit down and Stu said, if there's any cancellation to you, you made this team, but we got to let you go. Oof. And I looked at him and I said, what do you mean? He said, well, and he was honest. He says, you know, Al Bianchi is our general manager and uh, he's got a lot of guaranteed contracts and they, you know, they evaluate now and, you know, if he let this contract go some kind of way, they they, they stacked uh, another four hundred and seven thousand dollars on the Stuart Grace contract. I don't know how, you know, but they had, they had, they had yeah, so they didn't want to waive anybody to keep me. Right. So they waived me and I was crushed, you know, because I, you know, I was Maurice Cheeks was there, too. You know, I was Maurice. had got a place I was going to we had a house that we was going to rent and I had it all figured out, you know, and then they waved me like uh uh, and then Maurice told me, he said, you know, well, Stu came in the locker room and says, a guy that's here that shouldn't be here and a guy let go that should be here. He said he had never heard no coach say that before, you know. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, I was hurt and I was crushed. Uh, but then going forward, here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm with the Rockets and we playing the Knicks. Yeah. So I was smiling. You got your, you got your revenge, man. <laughs> so that win was a little special for me because uh, I didn't get my chance to, to wear that Nick uniform for one year, you know? <laughs> yeah. So you got your second ring and, you know, you mm-hmm. worked so hard to get back in the league. You finally get back in the league. You win this championship. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after that, you have this just horrific injury. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's one thing about me. I never miss practice. And, you know, I got hurt one time. I think I had a broken foot right before our championship series with, and I did that in the summer playing, but the only time I ever had injuries, I, I was a guy that never missed practice uh, or, you know, games. I didn't miss any games, you know, when I, when I was able to play less than it was a coach's decision. Um, but yeah, I came home, I had a freak accident, which I should have been sitting down. Really all I had to do was sit down and just wait. You know, Rockers were going to sign me back. They were going to bring me back. But, you know, I wanted to show my loyalty to magic. They were getting ready to take a trip and, I was going to get in shape, even though I'm a free agent and go play again, you know, and right. that, that's, that was a big mistake. You know, I, uh, I was jogging, was doing running some cones on the track with the piston strength and the conditioning coach with Arnie Canner. And yeah, it's just a freak accident. Leg just, just, just buckled and it just went and bam, bam, ACL, PCL, nerve damage, just everything. Just, you know, wiped out everything. And, uh, you know, it was like, you know, the doctors said it was, you know, career ending and you may not be able to walk they told me all kind of crazy stuff you know but uh you know uh, once again i bounced back from that you know i ended up getting another uh a year you know isaiah ended up going to toronto and brought me in to kind of look out after the young guys with marcus canby and all those guys when they came in and i played about nine games up in toronto and you know and uh i was just there really to to you know to tell stories like i'm doing now and look out for the young guys and try to get to keep them on the right track. So I became friends with Damon Stoudemire and Walt Williams and Carlos Rogers and um, Oliver Miller was there. Daryl Walker was, you know, in, in his year of coaching. So I ended my career um, right there in uh, Toronto at age 40. I was getting ready to turn 40 that, that, that September. So um, it's just incredible. I mean, and that's the thing. I, I found the book so inspiring. Your, your story is so inspiring because you were constantly, you know, jumping around from here to there. You had non-guaranteed contracts. Things didn't work out. You know, your first trip to Italy didn't work out the way you would have liked the first team you were there with. You know, it just, uh, you were sent off to Siberia with the Clippers. It just, <laughs> I mean, if you can survive the Clippers at that time, you can survive anything. And and then 
at you know in your mid 30s at the end of your career when by all by all means you should have been done you have this awful injury mm. that i mean i i couldn't imagine anybody thought there was any chance that you would make it back yeah. and that, to make it back for that 96 97 season was just what a what a wonderful way to cap off a great career. Well, I'll tell you the, the, the crazy thing about that. When I had that injury, I had all these teams. Even the Knicks called me while I was hurt. The Knicks called me. The Celtics called me, and they were waiting for me to get well. But I had, you know, I had this awful injury to my. I had nerve damage in my perineal nerve that I had to wear a brace to get my foot to go up and down. Um, but I, you know, I was battling to come back. I was in that rehab place, you know, every every day. But then, you know, finally I. I had to learn how to run all over again. And most of my game was relied on running and jumping. You know, I was a rebounder and set screens and all that kind of stuff. So I had to have the athleticism to be able to do it. So I was nowhere near what, you know, being a player that I was, you know, so it was going to be more difficult. But I fought all the way back. I got myself into good enough shape. Uh, as soon as I got well, I went to Argentina. <laughs> I remember I took a deal I went over to Argentina and I don't know, I, I think I talked about that in the book a little bit, but that was another interesting story there. Um, I hadn't played in a year and a half uh, and I demanded all these things in Argentina and I wanted salary up front. I wanted first class ticket. I wanted a good hotel. You know, I had heard all these horror stories about how people didn't get paid and all that. So I made sure. And John Long, once again, went with me, we went over there and, uh, and I remember I got all the things I asked for. They finally accommodated it and gave me everything. And the day that I got there, I had a game the same day. Now, I hadn't played a game. You know, I had been running. I had been in the gym with some pickup and that type of stuff. But I hadn't played an actual game in over a year and a half. So we had a game. And so I, was, I remember being in my room in Argentina. And I'm like, oh, shit, now I got to go out. And I got to show them that I'm worth everything they don't did now. So, but anyway... I ended up winning that game on the buzzard. You know, I tipped the ball in and won it on the buzzard. And that's, you know, I, that was coming back from that injury. Luis Scola was on my team at about 15 years old. <laughs> <laughs> he could have been your kid. He was in total shock when he came to the States and played. He ran into me and John. He said, you guys still around? <laughs> 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 so... Yeah, so that was even that was interesting. Even that, you yeah. know, that is always always got a guy that was, you know, that you know, Luis ended up being a good NBA player, you know. But yeah, he was yeah. like a 15, 16 year old kid on the Argentine team when I was there. <laughs> yeah, and he, he was well, on that gold medal team. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. So, um, but, um, I, yeah, I mean, that, that, uh, that came to an end. And then I, you know, then I uh, decided that I was going to, I wanted to broadcast, you know, I, Toronto that next year, I, you know, I had my sights so I had the radio job and was doing all that stuff. Anyway, they, they, they all said Isaiah, Isaiah was out of there. He, you know, he had three years with, you know, he was supposed to buy the team and all that, but it didn't work out. So I pretty much went when Isaiah left from Toronto, um, you know, then I, and trying to figure out what was going to be next for me. You know, I had a good friend, Johnny Davis. Um, There's another guy from Detroit that I didn't mention, another great PSL player. <laughs> they played a lot of years in the NBA he was the head coach of the 76ers at that time. And he called me up and asked me to take a, a coaching job. And I remember telling Johnny, I was like, man, I don't want to coach. You know, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to, you know, he says, he said, well, he had went to Alaska with me. You know, that's another story that's in the book too. I was in Alaska a few years and Johnny was up there as well. He said, I saw how you interacted with the kids in Alaska. And I think that you could be a good coach. And, 
we got a USBL team here, and I know the guy that owns the team down here. And why don't you come down? To, no, Johnny, I don't want to. You know, I told him flat out, no. You know, hung up. He calls me back again, and he says, "Well, if you can't go down and coach him, then why can't you just help me uh, put the team together?" Then he said, "Help me get some players and put the team together. You don't have to coach him." Now, my father was dying. My father had lung cancer then, so I was going back and forth with him, um, and he passed away right at that particular time. So I told Johnny, okay, I helped put the team together. I called some friends up here in Detroit and I drafted locally at a USBL. So I knew about this Eastern Michigan team. They had a great team with Earl Boykins and uh, James Head and Derek Dowell and Brian Tolbert, all these guys, they had beat Duke or something like that. And so I drafted all these guys, you know, I couldn't get Boykins, you know, but I got Derek Dowell and I got James Head and I got Brian Tolbert, you know, and, took a couple guys from Detroit, took a couple Philadelphia guys and put them all together. And so Johnny was like, man, you, you, you got these, you, you need, you got to come down here. So I remember, um, finally agreeing and I buried my father a day before. And I think the next day I was on the plane going to, to Camden, New Jersey. And I went down and I took over the USBL team. And, uh, you know, that was my first coaching coaching gig down there with them. So we, you know, we had a pretty, we were successful until I lost all of my guys. You know, I think Derek Dow went to the NBA pre-draft camp and Brian Tober went overseas to Germany and Ira Newble, also another NBA player that I had, he ended up going uh, to a CBA exposure camp. I woke up one morning, I, I lost like three or four of my starters. You know? so, <laughs> uh, my first win was against Rick Barry. I, him and Clifford Ray had a team on the shores down there. So, I started off in minor league coaching then, you know, uh, you know, and that led me uh, around um, and my coaching career was pretty crazy. You know, Um, I ended up back in the CBA. It's kind of crazy. I I played in the USBL too. I left that out. One summer I went to the USBL and I played for the New New Haven Skyhawks down there. Uh, That was the year when Anthony Mason uh, was in there. In fact, I always tease Mace, you know, that he rests in peace because Mace, got his trial against me. I was playing, we both were in the USBL together and uh, I went up to Cushers in New York. You know about that, right? So every summer they had a big games up in Cushers. So they called me and, you know, they telling me, Earl, come on up. You know, it's usually it's a fun game. You know, you go down there and play, you know, I, you know, I drink a couple beers and everything on the way up. And I'm just going, I'm thinking I'm going into the gym, just going to have some fun. I get in there. It's Anthony Mason. It's Mark Jackson. It's Paul Silas. And they got Mason. And I had to go up against Mason. <laughs> he wasn't playing. Mason, Mason, I wasn't ready to play. I, I wasn't thinking about it. This is what it was going to be like. And Paul Silas was over there. He was like, boy, the young fella killing you. You know, Paul was crazy. Payal. Every time he hit me, Paul yell out, Payal. You know. <laughs> so, anyway, Mason ended up becoming a Nick. You know, so that, you know, even that was, it became interesting in the USBL. But anyway, I ended up playing and coaching there. Uh, after that, uh, you know, Isaiah bought the whole CBA, you know, that next move with that. And uh, I ended up going down as an assistant coach with Jim Vervelli and, and Sioux Falls, another place where I had played at. I went back and coached there for a year. Uh, you know, we had a pretty good team down there with Victor Page and Demetrius Scores. I mean, Demetrius uh, Hill, the meat hook. The meat hook, yeah. Yeah, he was there. And, you know, uh, Monty Buckley and, you know, and, and Chris uh, – Chris that played at Connecticut. I can't think of his last name now, Chris. But anyway, we had a decent team, and I was with Ravelli, uh, 
And that that was crazy because Isaiah owned the whole league. And I didn't know Jim Favelli. Um, you know, I didn't know him at all. And um, I don't think he wanted me to be his assistant coach. <laughs> you know, Isaiah kind of pinned me down there, you know. And uh, but anyway, after training camp was over, because this was like a league that Favelli had did college. And you know, he had some pretty wild cards I just named with Buckley and Victor Page and those guys. And so I kind of fit like a glove with him because I could handle those guys, you know. And uh, he said – and I told him after we got, I said, I know you didn't want me. He said, man, he said, Earl, you know what? I I, I didn't. He said, but I, he said, I thank God every day that I got you now. <laughs> he said, <laughs> so we became good friends. You know, we had a, you know, we had a fun season and um, I did that. And um, after that, that's when this ABA thing came in and, uh, and actually it brought the ABA back and it was and that, that league had about eight teams in it. And uh, Paul Westhead was good friends with Jim Prevelli. And so Favelli recommended me to Paul Westhead, you know, and I ended up going to L.A. Um, because, you know, Westhead was the head coach and uh, and they had uh, Jamal Wilkes up in the front office. And uh, I mean, they had a little bit of everything down there. And they were paying these guys decent money down in, in this league. And so I went down with uh, with Paul as his assistant coach. And uh, man, I, I, I learned a lot of basketball, different basketball with Paul Westhead. Uh, that was an experience. He ran the system. I don't know if you ever heard of the system before, but he ran the system. And his system was no defense, and it was run and score, run, and I'll score you, you know, every time up and down the floor. And we had a team that, you know, had all scores. We had uh, Toby Bailey, and we had Ed O'Bannon, and we had uh, Tyson Willer, and, you know, we had uh, another kid from Michigan that was another guy that shot it every time he got it. But he, we had all these shooters on the team, you know. Uh, you know, and then, you know, we played, I played the first year with Paul and, uh, Scott Brooks came down to play. Uh, he was a player, player coach with me and Paul. So I had Scotty down there, you know, I knew me and Scotty had, you know, a pass together and everything. I knew him really well. So we went through that season. Um, the next season, the team moved, they went to Anaheim, uh, and Paul got called back up to the NBA. So I thought maybe I'd get the head coaching job, and no, they passed me over. They gave it to Scott Brooks. They said, well, Scott's from down in this area. They gave me all this crazy stuff about how Scott was from that area, and they was going to give him it. Anyway, they get it, you know, which they were they were right, as it turned out, because Scott turned out to be a great coach. But anyway, I, Scott tells me, look, I want you to go with me. And I said, well, Scott, it ain't enough money for me. I don't want to go down. He said, man, come on. He said, I'm going to take care of you. He said, come on down here in Newport and everything. And we go. So we go to Anaheim and uh, me and Scott go down there and we put together a real good team. You know, I was good at finding minor league players and bringing guys in. I call my connections with Derek Dowell and, you know, and all those guys, some of the guys that I had in the USBL. I had some connections now with, you know, in the minor leagues. And we put together a really good team down there, Brandon Williams and all these, some of these guys, they ended up going up to the league. And uh, he brought in a guard from Penn, I think, that was really good too. Uh, then we had the uh, three-point shooter, uh, Curtis Staples. We had him with us down there. But anyway, me and Scott went to the to the finals that year, and um, we lost to uh, Kansas City. That had a, a great coach. Uh, well, he he uh, he's in he's in Indiana right now. God, I can, he's a general manager in Indiana right now. Um, God, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. But anyway, we, we ended up losing to him. And, um, you know, and then Scott, he moved on. He got an assistant coaching job in the league. And Paul came back. 
you know, because he's out of the league. So here, here come Paul back. So the team moves again and it goes to Long Beach. So we became the Long Beach Jam, you know, and uh, Paul comes back and that year we got our team together. We And once again, I'm finding players. We, you know, we're putting together a good team down there. And uh, that, that year we had Matt Barnes, Tamar Johnson. Uh, you know, we had the little point guard, Utah Tabusi, there from over in Japan that came. I had my man Derek Dowell. I had Gino Carlisle. And, you know, we, we, had, we had a good team. So Paul stuck around. And then right before we got ready to start, I think he played, coached the first game. And we were over in Juarez on an army bus. <laughs> riding across the board and wore ass. And Paul gets this call over there and he gets called up again to go back to the NBA. So, you know, he calls me over and he says, Earl, this is going to be your team. You're going to take this team over. I'm leaving. I'm gone. You know, you can have it, you know. And and, and we were, and I, I was looking at Paul because we was in a pretty bad place over at War Ass, you know. So he, <laughs> he, he so, <laughs> but we, you know, we won the game and I ended up taking over as head coach at the Long Beach Jam. So, Scotty couldn't do it. Paul couldn't do it. I took the team and won a championship. You know, I got Dennis Rodman at the end of the year and put him on the team. And Matt Barnes got called up and went back to, I think it was New York he went to. And DeMar Johnson got called up. And Utah, I mean, I had all the scouts. I mean, this this was like, uh, we had no G League back then. And all the scouts was coming out to Long Beach to watch us play. You know, I had all these guys on my team, you know. And Derek Dow got a call up. And Gino Carlisle went to Portland. And, you know, my whole team that year, I won the championship and my whole team uh, all got jobs, you know, except for me. <laughs> so <laughs> the G League was about to start, you know, and so uh, I had contacted them beforehand and, you know, they told me I would be perfect. You know, they wanted me to, they said, you got a broadcasting background and, you know, we can bring you in and you can do stuff in the areas where we're going to have this G League. So I said, well, I'll be done. I said, end of this season, I... So anyway, as soon as the season ended, I called them. Uh, and when I called them back, they told me they couldn't talk to me. They said, well, we can't talk to you because you was affiliated with another minor league team. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I had I the never best heard team it. in the league. So anyway, I, I, heard you know, I, I left it at that. But uh, so then I decided, I said, well, you know, I get a call to go uh, with, with Rick Mahorn. Lambeer had left the WNBA. Uh, up here in Detroit, you know, so I, I, I ended up becoming an assistant coach with uh, with Mahorn with the shock here in Detroit, WNBA team. We took that team, went all the way to the Eastern Conference Final with Katie Smith and all. And I had a ball, you know, with the girls down there. So yeah. I did that with him, you know. Uh, I ended up with three. Then Muggsy, he gets the job down in Charlotte. He calls me up. I become his assistant coach. And I go down there for two years with, you know, with those with the girls that sting. I was out scouting on the road. For that team, and uh, I was in the Ann Donovan, and them looked at me and they said, Earl, you don't know what happened. I said, What happened? They just sold your team. <laughs> they sold the team while I was scouting. <laughs> so, Unbelievable. So, so I'm shaking my head now. I'm like, Okay. Uh, Corey Gaines was one of Paul's guys. He was my assistant up in in Long Beach, you know, when I was there. And you know, he's he a great up, guy, by the way. Yeah, that's my man. You know, me and Corey still got a great relationship. Anyway, uh, he was assistant with me when I wanted, and I needed him because that was my X and O guy. You know, I was good right. with the personnel and players and all that. Um, so Corey calls me in Phoenix because him and Paul had went there and did WNBA stuff. So. I went to Phoenix when Brittany Griner came in. I was with her her first year. Uh, 
down in Phoenix. So I stayed a couple years in Phoenix and, uh, yeah, me and Corey both got ousted out of Phoenix. <laughs> and uh, now I'm saying to myself, I said, well, I'm out of Alphabet. You know, I don't did the USPL, <laughs> the WNBA, the ABA. <laughs> I, said, I said, let me, you know, so then I ended up, uh, you know, coming back here, becoming an ambassador of the community for the Detroit Pistons. So that's it, you know, so. All, all, all this stuff kind of, you know, even after uh, the NBA experiences, you know, all these experiences are good. Not to, not to mention the stops and broadcasting along the way. I, I was in right. Fox Sports for a few years. I did college basketball and, uh, you know, in the MAC conference with Fox and all that and uh, in studio stuff and Pistons games. And I've been to the University of Detroit broadcasting their games for over 20 years. So, right. so uh, quite you know. a career. Quite a career. <laughs> basketball's basketball's been good to you. Yeah, is you know, I, and you know, and so now I talk to the kids, and I always tell them, I you know, I tell them don't do it the way I did it. Though I said, you know, if I didn't last as long as I would, I'd have been in trouble. Not to mention the fact when I fell on the ground and tore my knee up, I had no college degree. You know, and right. I tell that story too because I <laughs> left U of D and I was credit short, classes short. But I went back to school, you know, I got my degree, which was probably the most important thing, you know, I, and I tell the kids, I say, always have something that's going to be concrete because careers don't last, you know, but degrees do, you know. So right. I said, fortunate right. for me, I was able to bounce back and, and do all these things that I'm doing right now. So, uh, yeah. yeah, so I think, you know, that all, all this stuff makes for a solid book. You know? Absolutely. It was a great book. <laughs> and uh, I, I could talk to you all day, all day about this stuff, Earl, but uh, yeah. We both have other things to do, I'm sure. Um, yeah. I, I did want to ask you one one more question. It's it's a serious question um, about your old Sixers teams. You know, we talked a little bit about Daryl and Moses, and <clears throat> of course, sadly, you lost both of those guys pretty young, mm-hmm. really within a few weeks of each other, actually. And they were well, they were both Carwell, about sixty. Carwell and then Caldwell, yeah, and uh, and also Mark McNamara died young yeah. from from that team. And so yeah, I'm wondering, just recently you know, too. all all big guys all mm-hmm. died relatively young. Is that you know you're a big guy is is not as big as Daryl, but mm-hmm. is that something that you know you worry about, or do you do you, do you feel like no you have to take better it. better uh, care of I've yourself? Done, I, I've done, I've talked about it. Uh, it's definitely scary stuff, um, especially when I was so close to those guys in the locker room, sure, and around them. Um, and they all died from heart attacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm nervous about it. In fact, that you know, I, you know, and I did have some heart stuff going on. Right now, I'm going to the doctors. But the most important thing now is is to go get checked. Um, a lot of guys, you know, especially guys my size, you know, when you get older, you pick up weight. Um, you know, then then you you go your body goes through a change from you know, after all that running and jumping, you you go to a you know, it's like a shock to your whole system when you stop. You know, when you're not doing it anymore. Um, the most important thing is, is to get regular checkups and go get checked out and find out what's going on and try to prevent something like that from happening. I mean, it happened with Daryl and with Moses. And I, and I, and I don't know, Moses was always in good shape and you know, always worked out all the time. I do the same thing, but obviously that's got nothing to do with it either. It's the most important thing is to go get it checked and find out what's going on. So I got regular checkups. Now I go in and go to the doctors. I do have a concern. They did find some complications with me, you know, which I'm glad that I was, you know, if I hadn't been going to the doctors, it, it could have led to something like that and still can if I don't continue to keep following up. You know, as you get up in age, you know, uh, looking, you know, I'll be 66 uh, here in September. So, uh, yeah, that, that's a big concern. And 
to lose all three of those guys and like that and a situation like that is really really scary. But when it first yeah. happened, I was you know I was just shaking my head. And I think Caldwell they said just was playing golf one day and you know fell down on the side of his car and you know and then Daryl and at home and then Moses in the hotel room. So you know they didn't, they didn't see this coming. You know it's uh, so the checkups are important. So it's a scary situation. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad you're getting those checkups and taking mm-hmm. care of you because yeah. we want you around for a long time, Earl. I'm going to try <laughs> to stick around as long as I can. So <laughs> we'll see what's next now. I mean, an ambassador job is great for me right now, though. I uh, Being back here in Detroit, you know, and, um, you know, our owner, you know, uh, Tom Gorris, is, is, he wanted community stuff done. And you know, we got a young Pistons team that's developing, but he was really interested in the work that we do in the community. And me growing up here in Detroit, you know, I talked a little bit about my neighborhood and I know the challenges that a lot of the kids uh, go through. Uh, And the coaching part of it, I found that my career really helped me to help bench players. Like I developed players. I talked about all those guys I had in the, 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 I mean, I got great stories about some of the guys I had in the CBA, Um, you know, because I could recognize the one thing that they needed to do to get over the hump. You, you talked about that earlier when we first started talking, but as a player like myself, I understood, you know, what it, it uh, you know, what it was like. Uh, I had two guys that, you know, and I know we've been talking for a while, but I, I had two guys. One, one of them was Joaquin Hawkins. Um, and I don't know if you ever heard that name, no. but he, he played for me and, and, and with Scott Brooks down in the minor leagues. And he was about 28 years old. And, I looked at him and like all the players, Curtis Staple and all those guys came to me and they was like, coach, who do you think on this team got a chance to get to the next level? And I told him, I said, Joaquin Hawkins. And they all started laughing at me. They said, he don't even start for us. They said, he comes off the bench. What do you mean he got a chance? I said, well, he's the only one that's realistic about this. I said, he's a defensive player. I said, I never seen a guy that can win a game for you on the defensive end. And that year, Joaquin had won about three or four games for us, taking charges at the end of games. You know, uh, He was about 6'6". Six, six. Uh, he could guard ones. He could guard twos. He could guard threes. Um, you know, Anybody you put him on, he really didn't have a, a great offensive game. Uh, but defensively, he could guard anybody. And he was a fierce competitor. I said, I see him because he fits a role. I said, you guys think the NBA looking for a guy that can score 20 points? I said, they pay those guys a million dollars a year, $2 million a year to do that. I said, they don't want you to come there and do that. I said, they're looking for a guy like Joaquin Hawkins that can come in and, you know, and so Joaquin at this particular time had been over in China and played with Yamin and, you know, and Houston had just got Yamin in. And uh, he had bounced around, you know, through some teams and stuff. So at the end of the season, and I told him, I said, you you know, I said, I, I can get you in the league. And he says, Coach, what are you talking about? You know, I said, yeah. I said, you know, I said, I tell you what, you give me 30 grand when you get in there. I said, I'm going to work to get you in there. <laughs> and he laughed, you know. So I get on the phone and I call up Joe Ash, my first call, and I tell him I got this kid. And then, I, you know, he tells me to call Carol Dawson up. I call Carol Dawson up and tell him about him. I go to the pre-draft camp. And I talked to Rudy T about him, and I'm kind of bouncing his name all around the Houston organization. And uh, finally, uh, I get a call from Carol, and Carol was like, man, what the hell? Are you his agent or what? I said, no. I said, look, I just think this guy could really be an impactful player for you. I said, I coached him and had him down here in the league, you know. And, uh, you know, they followed up. They called Scotty up, you know, because, you know, and I, I just saw, I thought he could do it. So anyway, Carol Dawson calls me back about three or four days before training camp. And he says, Earl, 
we're going to bring him in. I said, yeah, but what is it going to hurt? I said, if you don't like him, you can just wave him, you know. So they picked him up. They had 17 guys in training camp. I didn't hear a word for two weeks. And all of a sudden, I get a call from Carol Dawson, and he says, Rudy loves this guy. We're keeping him. You know, not only did he make the team, he ended up starting for Houston that year. Wow. And doing just what I said he could do, guarding ones, twos, and threes, and, you know, interchangeable. And, you know, and he was there. and He would have been there as Rudy got sick at that particular time, and uh, Van Gundy came in. And, you know, he, Van Gundy didn't see the same way that Rudy saw it, but – that's one guy that I just, you know, just picked out. Uh, Gino Carlisle was my other guy. Um, I mean, one of my other guys. It was several of them that I helped, you know. And Gino had bounced around the minor league for I don't know how long, too. Great shooter. Could shoot the ball. Everybody hate playing with him. Never passed. Never worked on his game. Only thing he ever did was just shot the ball every time, you know. Uh, the first day that I took over the team, uh, and I had heard all these stories about nobody wanted to play with him. And I heard all these stories about, how, you know, all the things that he had wrong. And I saw it. So I lined all the guys up the first day when I took over. And I, you know, I said, hey, we got Gino Carlisle. I said, yeah, this guy here, he doesn't pass. I said, people hate playing with him. I said, because he don't get a ball up. I said, but Gino's a great scorer. I said, we're running the system down here with Paul Wesley. We're trying to get as many points. I said, Gino, we need him. I said, so what I want to happen this year, I said, whenever Gino gets in the game, I want you to look for him and get him to basketball. I said, he's not going to pass. I said, he's not going to work on his game. I said, he's going to be Gino. I said, because he likes it. He's been down here for five years now. I said, so he's going to continue to do. I said, but Gino's going to help all of us get out of here. I said, he'll be the guy that I said, I'll be gone. Everybody that said, Gino will still be here. I said, because obviously this, this is what he likes because it's what he, you know, it's what he do. And I said, so when he get in, I said, you guys make sure get Gino the ball. I said, he's not going to pass it back. I said, get it to him. Let him shoot. I said, we need his points. And, I, and I, you know, I did it with a serious face and said it. So Gino tried to prove to me the whole year <laughs> that he was going to be this great passer and his great teammate. And he turned everything around, and he was the most liked player on the team. And they loved He passed the ball. He did everything, you know, showed up. For t- he didn't have no problems with him, you know. End of the season, I called Maurice Cheeks up and said, hey, I got a guard for you, you know. Mo told me, get the hell out of here. And I said, I got a guard that cannot shoot every guard on your team right now. I said, you don't have a player that cannot shoot. Finally, I convinced Mo to bring him in, and he went down to Portland and lit it up. Played well. He took all the little bit of habits that he, you know, he picked up, and he made the team down in Portland. Now, John Nash, you know, pulled Al Bianchi, and they had to let him go because of contracts. But, you know, he got his first shot, you know, in the NBA. So, you know, the coaching, I, I found the rewards out of that uh, coaching, just looking at guys and seeing little things that they need to work on and attitude and personalities and things that they're going to do to make them better players. That's so, great. That's great. So you, you, you've you impacted a lot of people's lives that way. Yeah. So. Yeah. But uh, I got nothing to do with coaching now. I mean, I'm an ambassador of the community, yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> so. I will – Earl, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. I, I love the book. Um, once again, the name of Earl's book is Earl the Twirl, My Life in Basketball. Uh, I, I think you can tell from this podcast, Earl is a, just a great storyteller, and, he, and he's got a lot of stories to tell. So uh, it make the book the book makes for a great read. It actually it comes out in November, but it's available for pre-order now. And uh, I, I mean, I, I just think uh, if you're a fan of the game, uh, you're just going to love reading all about all about Earl's career and all his great stories. 
Yeah, some good stuff in there. I, I you know, I would advise them to go out. You know, my my hope is that everybody reads it, but I really like well, for young players that's inspired to try to get to the next level that maybe not superstars and you know to check it out because I think there's some things in there that can open their eyes up. 